Alright, welcome to Shuffle Episode 3. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you to please make sure you listen to the five songs that we discuss in this week's episode. If you go into the description for this episode, there will be links to a Spotify and YouTube playlist to listen to them either before, after, or during the recording. So let's get started. Today we are joined again by everyone's favorite, Dominic Mancy. Special guest, I prefer. Special, special guest. guest there. The special guest. <laughs> Favorite special guest. This is your, uh, if this was bowling, we would have just gotten a Dominic turkey because that's three Dominics in a row. Hat trick. We're going by hockey terms, the hat trick. I don't know anything about that. (laughs) What's a hat trick? Is that when you like have to bounce the puck off the two posts in the top? It's that there's one hockey player the whole game that has a hat underneath his helmet. And if you figure it out in a fight, you tear it off and... Voila, you just reveal the hat trick. And what I does think. that have to do with you being on the show three times? Because <laughs> it's just my favorite trick. Oh, okay. Tricks, and I'm the special guest. The hat trick. <laughs> and whatever the guest, you're the guest, so. The hat trick. The hat Thank trick you. is the trick we're doing today. Thank you. It has been, we've successfully now gone three episodes without an ICP incident. Is so, it a clap, a clap yeah, worthy? Yeah, congratulations, everybody. Oof. Oof. Uh, we'll see by the end of the episode if. <laughs> We can say it's been four episodes. And again, like last week, I just want to ask if there's anything you've been listening to or digging or any recommendations. On the way over here, Paul McCartney Wings came on, which which I'm not recommending here. Uh, but Mac DeMarco's album, Salad Days, I've been listening to that on repeat. It's only like 30 minutes long, and it's fantastic. I believe your wife was telling me about that. That could be. He's like a acoustic guitar guy, or am I getting that wrong? He, there's a lot of online live videos of him doing his songs just with an acoustic guitar, but a lot of his recordings are electric, but it's like jangle rock. So it kind of, which is typically associated with like 1960s British rock, like the Kinks. Oh, okay. Early Beatles. And he's kind of like stoner, lazy, jangle rock. And so it kind of sounds acoustic, and sometimes it's acoustic, but it's got like a lo-fi electronic production. And Wings made you think of this? Or did that (laughs) have nothing to do with it? The Wings was irrelevant. Okay. The Wings was a convenient segue. So you'd like to remind the audience, don't (laughs) listen to Wings, and also check out... Exactly. Salad Days? Salad Days by Mac DeMarco. Salad for days. Salad for days. And apparently it's a Shakespeare reference. I had no idea. He coined the term salad days to reference youth. The term (laughs) salad days means youth? Yeah, the youthful days. The green days. Oh, the salad. Okay. (laughs) The salad days. I don't think it caught on. Back when we were all salad still. (laughs) I don't think it's quite Before we grew up into these meat bodies that we live in. The meat body days. (laughs) (laughs) Meat bodies for days. <laughs> Be a good death metal song. Yeah. Meat bodies for days. Meat bodies for days of lactating meat. Something like that. Actually, speaking <laughs> of meat, a little foreshadowing in the Swans song we're going to be talking about. Mm. There's a word, uh, a phrase that she uses uh, meat blood. Meat blood. That I thought was pretty intense. Pretty yes. brutal. Yes. Yes. But we're jumping the gun a bit. We apologize. Let's start with Straws Pulled at Random by Mashuga. By Mashuga. This is off their 2002 album, Nothing. Mashuga are... uh... There's a lot of different genres they could go under. Extreme metal, technical metal, avant-garde metal, progressive metal. Hmm. They actually coined a term called gent metal. Really? Spelt D J E N T. They um used it to describe their very unique sound of like the really low guitar, like the guitar that almost sounds like a bass, and the way that they all mute it. Uh. Like it literally sounds like degent, 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 degent. Yeah. So they started calling themselves gent metal, and it's actually a very controversial term in the metal community. You know, a bunch of people think it's bullshit that it's not a real metal term. <laughs> But it's actually, there's a couple bands now that are classifying them, classifying themselves as gent metal. And Meshuga wow. started this. And they had that distinct sound. Yeah. That, well, that kind of bass. Yeah. Weird. 
they've um I think they have about eight or nine albums out. They've definitely been developing it as they went. In yeah. the earlier days they were a lot more just straight up extreme fast metal. Yeah. And they've like kind of slowly been in actually there's a lot of jazz influence in their music. They use a lot of I don't know if this song is the best representation of it, but they use like these crazy weird time signatures. Yeah. It's like if you try to like nod your head to it, you can't. Like it's very jarring because it's like da 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 and I Oh. Yeah. They they have an interesting sound. They're from Ume, Sweden. And I found out that Meshuggah is Yiddish for the word crazy. Is that right? I was yes. wondering Meshuggah. Huh. Now, the way that I like to describe Meshuggah, they're the kind of band where you end up at some party and there's some drunk metal dude <laughs> and all he can talk about is like, you got to check out this band. This is that band. Have you ever been that guy? I am. I know a guy. <laughs> okay, okay. This is a shout out to Steve Raker if you're listening. You're that guy. You're he, uh, that drunk guy. He drunk or other things, perhaps, that he's inebriated with. <laughs> and yeah, he will end up talking to you about Meshuggah. And actually, recently, my friend Chance was telling me, hey, I haven't seen Steven forever. I'm going to a party. He's going to be there. And I said, Chance, watch out. He's going to get drunk and talk to you about Meshuggah. Wow. And the next day, he's like, so Steve got drunk and talked to me about Meshuggah all night. <laughs> so... There's your little background for Meshuggah. Um, what did you think of Straws Pulled at Random? It is not the type of music I listen to regularly. However, I was extremely impressed. Yeah. I was extremely impressed. I thought it, I thought it, it did sound like a... I didn't know what genre it fit under, but it sounded almost like like heavy prog rock. Yeah. Like like some sort of like kind of post-rush sort of... Definitely. And I was extremely impressed because, yeah, it had kind of jarring tonal rhythmic shifts. And but but that solo was beautiful. That yeah, was amazing. The, beautiful solo. The song my God. takes a very distinct turn near, I'd say, like the last fifth of the song. Yeah. Yeah. It gets very kind of uplifting feeling almost very yeah. positive and emotional, which is weird because most of the song has this very like old mechanical sound to yeah it. very and like it becomes very kind of organic yeah. and positive almost with that solo yeah. at the end yeah which well yeah I, I was extremely impressed in that that like deep droning gent sound yeah that uh, that i was very impressed with that because it almost sounded like, at times like it was hitting like a vocal register like it was almost like backup vocals sure. at times it was i was very impressed yeah and actually i they had these special guitars um, commissioned just to record this album mm. and actually they had to re-record it because there was I guess there was a problem with the first they had commissioned these eight string guitars that had these two extra strings on it that were like lowered down so much that gave them that bassy sound yeah and then all of a sudden Ozzy asked them to be on Ozfest and they didn't have the guitars in time, so they used seven-string guitars and rushed the recording of it, and they hated it, and they went back and re-recorded all the guitars and re-released the album with these special eight-string guitars. Wow. Wow. So that's how they get that really low... That, like, all the guitars sound like basses almost yeah. in that song. Yeah. I also... I find it interesting. His vocals aren't... They're not like your typical metal scream. It's like he's, like, growl-yelling... Yeah, but and you can hear the lyrics at times too. Yeah, which was novel to me. Uh, Did you read the lyrics at all? I didn't. No, I didn't. So the song is, it's kind of nihilistic. Is the best Mm. way I could put it. They often sing about madness, the apocalypse, existentialism, nihilism. This song is all about not having control over when we die. It's like a straw being pulled at random. Hmm. The whole song is basically about how you have no control over when you die. It could happen at any time. It's drawing the short straw. Uh. And I kind of felt like the lyrics are almost kind of panicky if you read it. Like, he's very concerned about it. But then near the end of the, the song, kind of talks about how there's nothing you can do about it, so just accept it. And that's right when that guitar solo starts. So it's almost like... 
the mechanical cold part of the beginning of the song is his, him battling mm. with these thoughts kind of and at the up. end it's like acceptance and finding uh. peace in you know succumbing to the inevitability of death yeah 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 i could hear that why why are the scandinavian bands so depressing <laughs> it's such a beautiful sweden swedish this is a happy place I, what are they so sad about i guess it's cold there a lot <laughs> yeah. i i don't it's know it's just cold it's just cold so we're nihilists it's, it's the best way i can put it it's interesting because i'm from north dakota which is renowned for having at one point with like at least 10 years ago the census like the most homogenous ethnic culture in the United States for one state and it was almost overwhelmingly Norwegian and oh yeah and there's not a lot of nihilism there people are irritatingly happy and optimistic except for when people get murdered and put into tree chopper machine exactly that's our version well i know the movie that's... the movie fargo is a literal interpretation of how the state goes right it's very accurate yeah. instead of making death metal we just kill people you literally every other year brutally. cause death with metal <laughs> exactly there you go that... literal death metal it's cultural thing y'all wouldn't understand oh another interesting thing i found out about this album is pitchfork actually gave it an 8.1 Wow. It's the only album of theirs they ever reviewed, either. Really? Out of their nine albums, the only one they ever took the chance to review, and they loved it. Wow, an 8.1. You know, Wonder good old they... Pitchfork, they tell us how we're supposed to feel <laughs> yeah, about exactly. music. It's probably why you like this song, because Pitchfork yeah. gave it the thumbs up for you to like it. I'll be honest, my policy is I don't like anything below an 8.0, so this just made the cut. <laughs> it was, Ooh, just borderline. made the cut. Very, very borderline. <laughs> why it's the only extreme metal song. Alright, But an interesting fact. I don't know if you knew this. Lay it on me. But the guitarist lost the tip of his finger when he was working as a carpenter at one period in his life. Really? Yes. And this makes it equally notable is that the drummer also had his hand uh, injured in a grinder. Like, he was... And I'm not sure the extent of it, but this was... a. Uh, According to the deep, deep internet. You went into the deep web for I this? went to the deep web. They have both injured their hands, which I thought was a welcome uh, invitation for our uh, much-beloved segment, musicians with mangled, missing, and otherwise disfigured fingers, <laughs> which is where we just like to give an overview of a couple musicians throughout history that have persevered through having mangled, missing, or disfigured fingers. We should probably make a jingle for this segment <laughs> at some point. Something catchy. Something catchy for that, I think. I think. Well, no, I like it. So this, It's the new segment. Yeah, so so I got three. Okay. okay. One, Jerry Garcia. All right. As a four-year-old, Jerry Garcia and his older brother, Tiff, suspicious name and very suspicious behavior. Tiff Garcia? Tiff Garcia asked his four-year-old brother to... Uh, hold a piece of wood steady while he chops it with an axe. And Jerry, who's known to jump the gun on the solos a little bit, he jumped the gun with his finger and got two-thirds of his right middle finger chopped. Classic Jerry. All right, which, which you know, explains that distinctively bad sound that we've, we're, we're also familiar with. <laughs> that classic Grateful Dead sound. <laughs> I just thought, you know, that's a, so we, but he persevered. All um, right. Tony Iommi. Who's Tony Iommi? Black Sabbath guitarist. Okay. 17 years old, last shift as a machinist, and I I assume just to prove how incredibly badass and satanic he was, he lost the tips of his ring and middle finger in a machining accident. Just for the fuck of it. Just for the hell of it, I assume. He'll see. Exactly. And then last, uh, John Lennon, who, as we all know, lost both of his hands, uh, which I think that I think that's why the Beatles broke up. They just couldn't keep going without those hands. I'm not sure if that one's right, but I, that's what the internet said. That's why <laughs> well, the if, if it came from the deep web, it has to be true. Exactly. So that's a... No, I, that, that makes sense. Um, my old roommate, Chris, whose guitar work was actually featured on episode 0.5 of Shuffle, he also had injured his finger and was told to pick up an instrument to help rehabilitate the functioning of his hand. And is that's that why right? he started playing guitar. Oh. I don't know if that's, but oftentimes if there are finger injuries, people say pick up 
some sort of plucking instrument to wow. help rehabilitate movement and functionality of your fingers. Who would have thought? Losing a finger is a occasion to be a master guitar. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, look at John Lennon. <laughs> he kept doing stuff after yeah, he exactly. lost both his hands. Exactly. <laughs> he couldn't defend himself very well. It proved Ooh. to be his fatal flaw. <laughs> Too soon. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My mistake. Do I make fun of the amputees? We gotta like, give out a trigger warning now. Yeah, trigger before warning. Before we go. Hey, no puns here, buddy. Trigger warning. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think Inappropriate. about it. Inappropriate. Come on. I'm a hardcore uh, beetle nut, and I don't soon. appreciate that. Too soon. <laughs> sorry, everybody. Okay, well, oh, I'm, I'm resigning. This is Dominic's <laughs> podcast now. You'll never, never hear from me again. That was the end goal. Thank you. That's the only reason I had this segment, quite frankly. <laughs> to over, overtake my power. I knew if I started mentioning people getting hurt, you'd say something. I would. I would totally mess up. Class of Jared. All right. Any other thoughts about Straws Pulled at Random? No. B- beautiful song, though. I was very. Yeah, I, I really dug that that bass guitar groove yeah it was so driving i dug it all right now we can move on to the song i brought up first yeah my buried child by swans Mm. this is off swans 1995 album the great annihilator they are an experimental rock band from new york city and they are a very intimidating band to get into i would say Mm. I say experimental rock band because that's the easiest way to put it. They have crossed so many genres since they started putting out albums in 1982. Wow. Uh, you guys can't see it, but I have, there's actually, I have a chart pulled up here to show Dominic. It's a huge chart. Yes. So, are you familiar with 4chan? Yes. So yes, there yes. is a part of 4chan called Slash Mew. It's the music yeah. board. And they put together this little flow chart to help you get into Swans. Holy crap. When Swans started out, they were a no-wave slash noise rock band. Very abrasive, industrial, repetitive, just alienating music. Hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with the no-wave scene. A little bit, it yeah. Was, you know, it was a reaction to New Wave. Yeah. New Wave was very accessible and catchy. Poppy. They yeah. were trying be the opposite of that Hmm. their most brutal album of all time according to this chart is a album called public castration is a good idea (laughs) after that they moved into a post-punk slash goth rock phase which this album the great annihilator falls under and then later on they were actually one of the first bands to start the post-rock movement they were considered first wave post rock and now today their albums i would say still kind of fall underneath that post rocky ish area not Mm. quite post rock but yeah they they've they've been a lot of different bands while still being under the name of swans so swans is the brainchild of a man named michael gyra era he uh named the group swans because he said and i quote swans are majestic beautiful looking creatures with a really ugly temperament (laughs) that's where swans came from he's a multi-instrumentalist he's the only constant member of the band he's kind of like trent reznor for nine channels of swans he kind of has a ever-changing rotating cast of musicians that help them out now that you got some background information what do you think of my buried child this was again maybe that according to that chart it's not even the right kind of question but you know i wondered was this the best intro to the band swans i didn't know if this represented your body work because this was very peaceful it was a it yeah. was honestly a very kind of peaceful song i mean it had the industrial kind of percussion but it was more kind of like a hypnotic peaceful very hypnotic yeah, yeah. let's see mew described this album as dark and gothic but still accessible a good starting point if you're into more ordinary music this 
album, The Great Annihilator, and they have another album called Children of God that are often the two starting points when like, oh, you're new to Swans, start with one of these two albums. Yeah. So this is, I don't know if this particular song was probably the best because I found it to be kind of an odd song. It was, uh, it didn't really feel like there was a beginning or an end. Like you were dropped into the middle of it. Yeah. Like the beat's already going and then it fades out and you know, it's, it's almost like a, like a mantra. It feels like it's yeah. just very repetitive and very tribal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was a very beautiful song it was very nice very pleasant and then the lyrics came near the end and the lyrics they sort of were saying you know maybe this isn't really your kind of music <laughs> a little bit i felt i was like oh okay maybe maybe this isn't for me not because i don't want it to be but it was a bit jarring very jarring lyrics and very inaccessible <laughs> i i read them over quite a few times and i really couldn't take a lot away from it yeah. Um, some people think that the song might be about a mother mourning an aborted child. Mm. I, I don't know. She keeps referencing like liquid hate and hold me in your mother's arms and your wounded gash. Yeah, I wrote. I wrote meat down, blood. Yeah, this this little four line part, and I think you've already mentioned yeah the meat blood, and I could not figure out what they're talking about. Two bodies sink in meat blood, strangled the smell of death. Your tortured gash enfold me in your mother's arms. See, tortured what gash <laughs> is a very crude way to allude to, I feel like, a mother giving birth. Trigger I feel warning like, here, buddy. Come yeah. On. Triple trigger Tri warning. It's a triple trig. I don't right know. Here. That, that's that just, could be the tortured gash. Gash, it sounds like, you know. But, okay, I, wait. So he could be talking about an already aborted child. That could be. Right. I thought. He could be talking to she, a child about to be born. That's she. actually a female. In this true, one. true. Okay, so she could be talking to a child about to be born. Or you go the real kind of Freudian route through her inner child. Hmm? Like the death of her inner child? Maybe. But then I took all three of these one at a time and read the lyrics and none of them make any sense <laughs> it's neither it can't be any of these three enfold me in your mother's arms she would be her mother yeah she well it's, confusing. Yeah, it's like is she talking about herself or someone else because isn't it hold me in your mother's arms and then enfold me in your mother's yeah. arms enfold me in your mother it's called my buried child my buried child or is this from the perspective of the buried child? So then enfold me in your mother's arms. Take me to the grandma. So maybe she won't bury me. <laughs> Since my mother buried me, maybe my grandma won't. <laughs> See, this Running is, out of options. This here. is why I like Wings and Paul McCartney. They keep the lyrics simple. They keep them they're straight Very shooters. On the sleeve. Oh, straight shooters? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Now, now you need the trigger warning. Everything is one degree away from John Lennon losing his hands, man. I'm freaked out. I don't know. I, you know, my only other thought is I almost feel like due to the suddenness of you being dropped into it, I feel like we're stumbling upon like a, a ritual, like a spiritual ritual of some sorts. Yeah. And like, you know, you have no idea what's going on because you walked in on the middle of it almost. Yeah. It. I don't know if... There's a band I've listened to a lot, Animal Collective, and they have very early albums that are kind of like this. They're maybe more just like a, even less organized and structured, but this kind of reminded me a little bit of even Sung Tongs. They have a great album, Sung Tongs, where it's almost like you've just wandered into someone around a campfire, just, you know, kind of a weird, you know, tribal banging on stuff and then saying random lyrics and... Sure. And then they all pass out from the mushrooms they did. <laughs> that makes sense. Have you ever heard of uh, a Silver Mount Zion? No. Or the Silver Mount Zion? No. Do you know Godspeed, You Black Emperor? Yeah. So Godspeed, You Black Emperor are a post-rock group from Canada. And members of that broke off to then form this band called a Silver Mount Zion. And that is 
the most simple way to say their name. Every album they put out, their name changes slightly. Sometimes they're the Silver Mountain Zion and Memorial Orchestra and Tra La 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 Band and the <laughs> Silver Mountain Zion and a Silver Mountain Zion. It's always changing. It reminds me. Their music reminds me a lot of this song. It's tribal. It's kind of simple. It's cryptic. Yeah. It kind of sounds like the Animal Collective too at yeah. times. Yeah. Yeah. Not as accessible though. It's not wings. It's not it's wings no wings. Paul McCartney. I mean, even in the name, he kept it simple. He put Paul McCartney there just in case we forgot. He's in wings. <laughs> How could you ever forget that Paul McCartney was in wings? <laughs> not to push the point too yeah. far, but yeah. it takes some leads from from old Paul Mac. I agree. <laughs> this part will probably be edited. Good, out good old Paul Mac. <laughs> yeah, just, oh. for those for those still listening, uh, there was about twenty more minutes of deleted yeah. scenes of me just talking about wings. You- I, I had to cut it out. I had a long soliloquy about how the wings uh, on swans, you know, it's very similar to the Paul McCartney in, in Wings. Sure. I will say that this song definitely intrigued me to listen to the rest of the album because I feel like maybe if I listened to the song before or after, there'd be more context. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very true. I would definitely... Uh, swans is a band or... A, Maybe it's mostly just one artist, it sounds like. I've heard about for many years, and I've never, ever gotten into. And this song, it, it was accessible. Yeah. Just at, at the most visceral level. It wasn't too weird until the last little lyrics. But. Their their early stuff is very inaccessible. Yeah. Like, uh, oftentimes, a typical like early swan song the percussion will be like a mallet hitting sheet metal for about seven minutes. And maybe someone just hitting a bass, just (laughs) and Michael Hira will just be shouting the same line over and over again. And it'll usually be something like the teeth of the flesh, the teeth (laughs) of the flesh. And it's just seven minutes and the song doesn't change at all. Like it's it's no way. Wow. They, they they are confronting you to listen to this. They're yeah. defying you to listen <laughs> to this. But it keeps me listening. I don't know. That, I'm the kind of person where that intrigues me. You like, like it? You like getting pushed away? There's got to be something there. <laughs> They're pushing so hard. They got to be hiding something. <laughs> All right. Uh, we can move on to the next song, which is My Camel Chromance's cover of Morrissey's. Jack the Ripper. Right. This was released on My Chemical Romance's uh, seven inch for the Thank You for the Venom single in 2004. It was the B side. Yeah. Though, due to the recording quality and the quantity of screaming, I think it was recorded more so around their first album mm. back in 2002. I brought you my bullets. You brought me your love. Because by the time that Thank you for the Venom came out off their album Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. They had kind of moved past that typical screamo style music and kind of moved more into alternative rock and pop punk kind mm-hmm. of sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, My Chemical Romance is, like I said, a pop punk post hardcore alternative rock band from Newark, New Jersey. They often get labeled and thrown into the emo group of music. And I'm not saying they're not, but. The band members like to distance them themselves from that word. They don't like to be associated with yeah, it hurt. the idea of emo. He's quoted by saying the lead singer, emo's a pile of shit. Yep, Which I thought that's a harsh thing to say about your own music. Because <laughs> oh. <laughs> it did seem emo. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Well, they, <laughs> there's definitely a reason why they get associated with that genre. Now... Like I said, this is a cover of a Morrissey song, which is actually just as obscure as this My Chemical Romance song, because this is kind of a hard song to get a hold of unless you're into like getting bootlegs. And for Morrissey, he actually never recorded a studio version of this song either. It was a live B-side off of his single Certain People I Know. And I guess other than that, I don't want to say too much about this, because... 
My Chemical Romance is a band that I feel extremely biased towards. Mm -hmm. According mm -hmm. to my last FM account, <laughs> they're my third most played band of all time. And since 2009, there's over 2,000 plays. Wow. So before I say anything, okay. what did you think of this? So I, you know, it did sound to me like it was emo yes. rock. It did sound like emo rock or maybe post emo. Maybe there's an early emo phase where, you know, this very extremely emotional kind of whiny vocals. And this wasn't quite that. But just to be clear, I've never considered emo title to be as bad as there is there are negative connotations. I think it's the one, yeah. I think artists don't want to be labeled emo. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, that's true because most emo bands say I'm not emo. Exactly. But that being said, this sounded like a very good like kind of lo-fi punk rock emo cover, and by that I do mean, for better or worse, and maybe just in my mind it comes down to the to the kind of timbre of the voice, but there's just something emo in the vocal but i'm a huge smashing pumpkins fan and they're emo 100 percent. billy corgan <laughs> that's emo uh, he's the most emotional person <laughs> i can think of exactly and so many feels. billy corgan is a huge influence on gerard way okay the lead singer of this band along with morrissey as you might have guessed yeah yeah so i i liked it i did like this um i was not familiar at all with the original morrissey song i listened to it and it was totally different very creepy. Yeah. yeah, totally different. And yeah, I thought this was kind of like a like garage emo punk band cover. That for what it was, I liked it. I honestly have to say this is probably one of my least favorite My Chemical Romance songs. I first of all, usually lo-fi recording doesn't bug me. Yeah. But if you're gonna take the time to press this onto a seven-inch. <laughs> I think you could find a better recording than this. Like, this was pretty lo-fi. This was actually formally released? This was like... This, yeah, the recording is wow. from a live show, but okay. it was pressed on the 7-inch B-side of the Thank You for the Venom single. Wow. So they, there's a lot of people who actually bought this record and were pretty like, what the hell? Yeah, like, that... this sounds horrible. <laughs> if that was their M.O. to always sound like that, that would be one yeah. thing. But... I'm very unfamiliar with their music in general. Other than their first album, they're a pretty polished band. Most yeah, that's of the what time. I thought. Yeah. Especially ever since their second album, they were on the Warner Brothers label. So there's a lot of money going into producing yeah. their albums. Yeah. And I will say one of the reasons why it's probably one of my least favorite My Chemical Romance songs is I have nothing against the screaming. I love a good scream in a song. In particular, I've always appreciated how Gerard shows a lot of restraint hmm. with his screaming in that he doesn't just delve them out all the time. He holds on to them for very key moments, and I think it adds to the emotional nature of the song when it's very... There's a lot of thought put into when he's going to scream. In yeah. this song, it felt like the screams were just being like sprinkled all around yeah. for no reason whatsoever <laughs> on any word that he chose. And it, it's just jarring and off-putting almost. I yeah. I really dug the bass in the song. That like the the opening of the song with the like the ticka 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 ticka. I loved it. I thought yeah. it was groovy as hell. It was awesome. But yeah, I just the delivery, I think, took away from the lyrics. Yeah, I could see. I mean, if you don't know anything about, because I went into it, I didn't even know, again, the original song. So I had no ear for the lyrics. It was clear that the production was, I guess I interpreted it as lo-fi, which is a yeah. kind of charitable. Maybe I've been too indoctrinated by Pitchfork, who loves everything lo-fi, lo the low production. But if someone had told me, like, this is just like a... If you bracket out everything you know about My Chemical Romance and someone's like, this is, and even Morrissey, and they say this is just like a lo-fi, like garage punk emo band. Yeah. Then it's a suitable song. on, But yeah, it's it's definitely, <laughs> I, I do still see what you're saying though. Especially if it's actually pressed and people are paying money for it. Yeah. And if you actually are like a Morrissey fan, you know the lyrics, then yeah, the difference between the two is so enormous. 
it's hard to know exactly what they were going for. But. Yeah, because the if you haven't heard it, the lyrics are, from what I gather, a conversation between Jack the Ripper and one of his victims. Mm-hmm. It seems like you might have fallen in love or have some sort of interest in this person, but at the end of the day, he's like, I'm still going to kill you. And Morrissey's version of the song is so eerie and like subtle and just sounds creepy because it's so quiet. And with Gerard screaming, it doesn't fit with Jack the Ripper's MO, I feel. Yeah. Like, yeah. He was cool and collected, not manic and emotional. But yeah. I know. That's my No, I could away. see that. I could see that. It. I think maybe... Yeah, I don't mean this in a bad way either, but I was like, my understanding of My Chemical Romance is just like the most like basic understanding you could get from just being an American who listens to, you know, listen to the radio over the last 20 years. So I think I went into this song expecting to hear something quite a bit different. Sure. Like, the, especially because what was their big concept album? Well, they, the black... Yeah, that... all four of their albums are technically concept okay, albums. Okay, okay. You're probably thinking of the Black Parade. Yeah, that one, the Black Parade. Okay, so very <laughs> grandiose. Yeah, that was orchestrated, and ambitious, Beatles esque. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think I think I was kind of not that I dislike that, but I was kind of expecting something like just ridiculously ambitious, and this was almost like you know bare bones it was very bare bones it was very bare which bones. is why i think it was probably recorded around their first album yeah because as they grew as a band they got extremely theatrical giant sets pyrotechnics every album they had costumes and characters yeah it was like a theater show yeah and this sounds like they're just in their garage yeah in their first <laughs> album and I love their first album, and you could call their first album lo-fi and raw. Yeah. But I guess, you know, with it being Gerard's lyrics, there was a lot more thought put into the rawness and screaming, whereas this as a cover, I felt like he was trying to force himself into somebody else's shoes almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they've done other covers that I like. I just, and it's not... I don't dislike this. Like, by any means, like I said, I'm very biased. I love all my Kendall Chromance yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would probably rank this near the bottom of, if I had to rank all the songs, it's one of my least favorite. This is probably my favorite My Chemical yeah. Romance song. Uh, <laughs> mostly because, honestly, I... No, that's fine. Because I probably can only think of one other My Chemical Romance song I've ever heard. And I probably doesn't have just... much competition. <laughs> exactly. See, whereas I have every cover and yeah, leg and yeah, live exactly. recording and rare, like <laughs> I have a lot more than just those four albums. Yeah. So, um, yeah. There's a lot of their music I have to sift through. But I will say this. I'm very shocked that this was like pressed and released in, in any formal way. This yes. should have just been. I assume you just like found this by someone like on a tape recorder at a concert in like 2003 and they yeah. uploaded it somehow. That's like... exactly what I thought it was actually <laughs> until I had to do some research for this episode. I had no yeah. idea that they ever actually pressed this and there's a lot of comments on the, are you familiar with the website Discogs? No. It's an online catalog of every physical release of any album ever. Wow. So. You can go on there and start your own profile and like make a digital library of everything you have. So like you go on there and you find a band you like and go on their album and under that album there'll be like seven different like this is the vinyl, this is the Australian vinyl, this is like every version. Hmm. And so I found this seven inch disc and all the comments on it were people being like, I Don't can't believe they pressed this, it sounds like shit. <laughs> Did you read any of the YouTube comments on this video? I think there were quite, there were a number that were similar too. They're like, wow, the production sounds well, like shit. And then a few Morrissey hardcore yes. fans that were like, what the fuck? That's what I like. <laughs> the, the whole conversation below this video is just this flame war between my Camel Chromance fans and Morrissey fans. Yeah. Like Morrissey fans being like, they ruined this song. And then everyone's just like, you got to give them a chance. And Wait, so I got to ask you. Because part of this podcast is just sort of exploring 
the different definitions and categories of music. Yes. And you are the My Chemical Romance advocate yes. in my life. That's and so me. now I'm putting you on the spot and I want you to tell me, because I don't know, in your opinion, are they or are they not emo? Depends on which album. Ah, spoken like a true fan. If you listen to their first album, I Brought You My Bullets, You Brought Me Your Love, I would definitely say that was an emo, screamo, post-hardcore-esque album. And what makes something emo? Is it the voice? It's gotta be the voice. I, I'd say it's a combination of yeah. things. Yes, it's the voice. Very nasally, high-pitched vocals. Like you said, kind of whiny. Yeah. All the songs are very emotive, emotional. The, the voice is emotional. Like, you can hear the sadness or anger in the voice. Yeah. They're wearing it on their sleeves. But then they move away from them, you feel. I do. I yeah. feel like they kind of became like a straight-up pop rock band. Hmm. They, especially by their last album, official album, I should say, True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, that album, they're just having fun. It's actually a concept album about a comic book that Gerard made <laughs> called The Killjoys, and every song on that album is in the perspective of these Killjoy characters, and it's this very weird post-apocalyptic future and they're just they're having fun they're making mm. songs they, there's a song in there that sounds like it could be straight from like a beatles walrus behind yeah. the walrus and then they, they go all over the place so yeah i'd say they transition out of it mm. they're definitely still bits and pieces of emo yeah in their music i think it's always going to be where they came from yeah but i do think they moved beyond it as they matured as a band yeah and i think definitely throughout the 2000s emo music became like a character of itself yes and they weren't i would not associate them in my head with with the worst excesses of that genre no so maybe like a post a post emo yeah they took emo in a new direction there you go well yeah because emo is such an umbrella term like called death cat for cutie emo yeah like yeah. any there was a, this whole time period in the early 2000s where emo could have been a variety of things yeah like if you go back and listen to what is considered like the very first emo album it's by this band called the rites of spring hmm. and it's very like post hardcore punk rock with a little bit of like new wave thrown in there. It doesn't <laughs> sound anything like the stereotypical emo. And huh. they call it the first emo album because it started showing the very first elements of what it would become. But you know, like you get into the thick of it, like the most, the poster child to emo, I'd say is like Senses Fail or <laughs> Chiodos. Or yeah. There's all these bands like that. And my account with romance are not like those yeah. bands. Yeah. So that's why. I think they had elements of it at a point in time. I think they were had a lot of elements of it, and I feel like they shedded those elements as they progressed. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know. Now you know. Now I'll have to actually listen to the mic. Oh, I have played you Gerard's <laughs> solo album. And that's you said the. You dug it. That's the only thing. That's honestly the only yeah. thing I I've listened to from that's My Chemical Romance. Supposed to be like a fuzzy Brit pop album. Yeah. Which I yeah I dug a lot. All right, let's move on to I Like to Move in the Night by Eagles of Death Metal. This is off their 2006 album, Death by Sexy. Mm. <laughs> Eagles of Death Metal are an alternative bluesy rock band from Palm Desert, California. They are a side project of Josh Homme from... Queens of the Stone Age, Caius, them Crooked Vultures. He's, you probably know who he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and little known fact, they are not a death metal band. <laughs> yeah, that's clear. That they is. actually, the way they got their name is, and I, I read a couple different stories, and each one varied a little bit, but it basically sounded like there was either a bus driver or a band member or someone that was trying to introduce Josh to death metal. Hmm. And they put on this death metal band called vader or a polish death metal band 
and he heard it and he's like oh this doesn't sound like what death metal should sound like this sounds like the eagles of death metal <laughs> as in the band the diss. eagles nice yeah, and then they all sat there and wondered what would it sound like if you mixed the eagles with stereotypical death metal and supposedly that's the sound they're going for. Uh. He's since kind of described it more as like blue grassy, bluesy, classic rock, which yeah. I kind of think they fall into that camp. I don't really get any death metal elements yeah. from this music. Yeah, yeah, I found a fantastic quote from the lead singer who said the music was blue gra- bluegrass slide guitar mixed with stripper drum beats and canned heat. The 1960s band vocals. Can't like, heat from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> Wait, is Can't Heat in the That's band? the famous scene where Napoleon dances for the talent show or whatever. Oh, that's a that's Can't, Can't Heat song. Oh, okay. Do you know this boogie? Is that's right. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh my god. Yeah, Can't Heat. So yeah, that's a. So wait, I gotta ask because you know death metal more than I do. Do no. you? <laughs> no. No way. You're my, you're my go-to. Yeah, I'm the, de- I'm the go-to. I am from North Dakota, yeah. which is just one degree yeah. away from Nor- Norway. What does this sound? Do you get any sense of how death metal elements are working in this music? None whatsoever. Okay, that's kind of what I mean. The vocals <laughs> are like disco-y. <laughs> the drumming is very simple and straightforward and not fast as fucking possible like death metal is yeah. like the lyrical content is nowhere near nowhere near what death metal lyrical content is this song is about a guy who likes to entice women with his sexy dance moves until a woman shows up who is even sexier at dancing than he is and now he has to answer to her because she's the boss that's the whole song is this is this project for real or is he partly being like ironic because <laughs> it seems a little over the I top I, I, we got yeah. album names like heart on zipper down zipper down death by sexy death I, by sexy is this for <laughs> you know i think there's definitely some irony in there yeah but i also think they're just having fun yeah more so like they keep putting out albums Josh doesn't always tour with them because he's in Queens, but when he does, he's their drummer. I don't know. I I definitely think there's irony in there. I think they're like, it's a bit of a ruse, but I also think it's just like an ode to cock rock. Yeah, okay. That I was looking for, what's the genre? Like trashy rock? Yeah, like cock rock. Cock rock, sleaze yeah. rock? Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Some people yeah. say like stoner rock. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I... That guitar riff in there is catchy as hell. Yeah. I will yeah. say that is like one catchy and that guitar riff reminds me of Queens of the Stone Age and they're like the desert rock scene. It's kinda got that dirty, sludgy, kinda dusty feel to it. Yeah. I really dug that. The vocal performance is alright. I don't know, it's a little too <laughs> Bee Gees for me. Let me ask you this. Imagine in your head, like just a white middle class conservative American dad. And imagine you play him this song. Do you think he'd like it? I do. Uh, that's, I, I agree. I that, think that, it's a throwback to like <laughs> disco, like the stuff they grew up on. That's why I don't want to like it. <laughs> I don't want to like it because I know that guy that I'm thinking of likes it. You'll start becoming a dad if you like it too I'm going to be that guy, the trashy dad rock vibe. <laughs> Which has its appeals, like it, I admit. It does. It's it catchy. Does. And actually, now that you mention, <laughs> you mentioned the asking, like, are they being serious or not? My friend Eric Johnston is a huge Queens of the Stone Age fan. The Eileen Queens huge of the Stone Age. Huge Josh Homme fan. Yeah. He's actually the one that, inter- that introduced me to Eagles of Death Metal. And he described them as a silly band. He's like, I like them, but they're silly. Yeah. It's yeah. the best way he put it. Because Queens of the Stone Age, I don't know incredibly well, but they have some fantastic music that I've heard. Like, I have a ton of respect for them. That's why, (laughs) yeah, this music must be done partly as tongue-in-cheek. It's a little kind of a joke. Yeah, but but it does have a sort of of American universal appeal. American cock. That's a little disturbing, but I can't (laughs) deny it. (laughs) 
It's an American I, I can cock. Fight it all I want, but it overtakes me at the end. I well, am the American cock. It's catch. And this you is my rock. <laughs> this is my American cock rock. It, this is the it's the new counterpart to this American life. Yeah. This American cock rock. This American cock. Well, it's catchy, but. Like you said, it almost kind of scares me when I start nodding my head to it. It's like, I don't want to like something like this. It's so, one thing that's worth comparing it to is, okay, Tim Heidecker and Eric Wareheim, two comedians from Tim and Eric Adult Swim, have a band called Puss Whip Bang Gang. And it is seemingly done in all seriousness, although obviously everything they do is a joke. Yes. But some of their songs sound a ton like this, like this and it's amazing to... <laughs> Well, and he's going precisely for that, like, just sleazy kind of dad rock yeah. vibe. Like, oh, here, you know, who is it? Pete's, not Pete Seeger, uh, Bob Seeger. Bob Seeger. You know what I mean? Like, the guys that like Bob Seeger, yeah. you drink your Coors Lights and, <laughs> hell yeah, keep my music well, clean and dirty. And the lead singer of this band's got, like, that classic handlebar mustache <laughs> and long hair. Like, he looks like exactly who'd be singing this song. <laughs> skinny jeans and tattoos and no and it wouldn't surprise me if it was kind of a joke in a way because like josh homie's got a good sense of humor he was on an episode of portlandia i don't know if you is that right it. yeah you are you familiar with the stand-up comedian nick swartzen yeah oh yeah they play a gay couple <laughs> josh homie plays carrie brownstein's little brother and he's married to Nick Swartzen, and they like, they move in to Carrie's house, and Carrie like thinks like, oh, they can help me redecorate and do all these stereotypical gay things, and like, they're like these total just slobby Xbox bros, <laughs> but they're gay. I guess so. That they're like culling on the couch, but there's like pizza boxes strewn everywhere, <laughs> and they're just like these total bros, and like can't clap like. <laughs> It was a pretty funny skit, yeah, so he's got a good yeah. sense of humor, so it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he, he probably digs the music, but yeah, it's, it's funny in a way. I, so I have a question. Queens of the Stone Age, I heard once that they were satanic. Now, is this just something, you know, some mom on the PTA was trying to convince I people? Or? I wouldn't call them satanic. I mean, yeah, like, you know, they pitchforks on some of their albums I <laughs> they they can't they come from this very particular scene this desert rock scene and actually josh homie did a had a great interview on wtf with mark Marin. Uh. they talked a lot about it like you know they grew up in the middle of the desert there's nothing else to do so people played music and there's a lot of crystal meth involved too so these like sped up psychopaths putting on music so there's a lot of dark themes wow. i I definitely think that there's like a strong sense of questioning faith and religion in their music, but I yeah. wouldn't call them satanic. Maybe more kind of like pagans. Or... Maybe. <laughs> they worship the desert. There they actually have a song called The Sun Is My God, oh, which is go. very a pagan idea. Extremely pagan, worshiping yeah. celestial yeah. bodies. Yeah. Alright. So let's move on to our final song, and you can hear how horrible my French is. Bonne nuit, <laughs> which is French for good night, by the band Wee oui Wee. Oui. This is off their 1989 album. See, it's funny, I thought this was called Bone Nut. Bone Nut? And, bone uh, Nut? <laughs> that sounds like an Eagles of Death Metal song. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, Bone Nut, man. I like, now that I know it's good night, uh, I don't think it's... My girlfriend tried to help me practice saying this because <laughs> she can speak French. That's the name of the album. I horribly messed that up. <laughs> it means each one, everyone. So Wee oui Wee oui is a French pop group. Mm. Uh, their claim to fame is that famous French film director Michel Gondry was their drummer. Yeah. This was his band before he became a huge director and filmmaker though he did direct and shoot all of their music videos is that right yeah yes. yeah so yeah they're they're a french pop group and i i read this one line on their wikipedia page that sparked my curiosity there's 
They're kind of a hard band to look up. Like, they've been out of print since the early 90s, and there's not a lot of material on them. So it, I read this line on their Wikipedia page that said a lot of the songs on their first album were written in reaction to cold wave music. So I had to look up cold wave music, and it's a very specific type of French post-punk music that was popular in the late 70s. Wow. How does France have all these waves? Oh, Who has time you know, they, for all these cultural they, waves? This is amazing. They like, put house music on the market. Like <laughs> yeah. they, They're very an influential country when it comes to music. So if I'm taking that line right, they wrote songs in reaction to it. So it almost sounds like the no wave scene where it's like cold wave was very as described cold wave. It was kind of alienating. And I think they were trying to be the opposite of that by making these extremely catchy uh. playful cheerful tunes yeah well they achieved they achieved that so what did you think of bone nut i thought bone <laughs> now that i know that it's some french propaganda stuff yeah. i'm not as into it i thought this was part of the cock rock genre of bone nut french like, cock rock <laughs> yeah the french cock rock, cock rock. and wee wee i thought you know it was wee like, wee <laughs> it was like the wee wee yeah the cock you know, and then the you wee wee yeah then you get wee the bone rock yeah, exactly. And you get the bone nut. But it's all right. But yeah, I thought Michel Gondry, I don't know if you, if you knew this, but you wouldn't be surprised, but he's done a ton of commercials. He's like a master of doing commercials. I, I have a DVD of his collected work. Yeah. And as music video, he's done so many music videos, commercials, films. He does everything. And this sounds, I mean, this to me like sounds like a song that could just like perfect. It's like short, kind of a little ditty, pleasant, could be thrown right into a nice touching commercial. I don't know, there's something about his aesthetic. It creates a quick, punchy scene, kind of like Wes anderson -y. Yeah. And then, boom, it's just done. Yeah, this, this song definitely sounded like a film score almost. Yeah. Like the way that I thought it it's a very short song, yeah. but it changes a lot as it progresses. It's almost like a a medley. Yeah. Like I don't know if you've ever been to a, a a musical, and like before the musical starts, they play like this overture that's like a long song that's a mixture of all the songs you're about to hear for the night. Yeah. It kind of sounds like that because yeah. it's for such a short song, it's very orchestrated in that there are a lot of different instruments. There's yeah. a horn section. There's a lot of like percussion, xylophone, glockenspiel sounding things. There's string instruments. There's synthesizers. Yeah, it's saturated. Quick, short, condensed. He's kind of yeah. Danny Elfman-esque too, yeah. I would say. Like yeah. I could see being in a Tim Burton movie. Almost. Yeah, absolutely. It's quaint in a way. Whimsical. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Cute. Yeah, a little bougie, I'll be honest. It yeah. has a kind of bougie, quirky French vibe. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's an instrumental, so there's not a whole lot to say about it. Yeah. And I don't think Michelle was actually on this track at all because he was just the drummer. <laughs> and there's no drums in this. Is there a music video? There's not a music video for ah. this particular song. Yeah. He actually, for their first album, he shot like six or seven music videos for it just because he could. Wow. And they're all very his aesthetic. Lots of surrealist stop motion Michelle Gondry stuff. Yeah. That's the best way I can put yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. A little too surreal at times. I, <laughs> I I thought of, I don't know why one day I was like thinking of this Venn diagram I could make up. I thought it was so perfect. Like you could like make a t-shirt out of it almost. <laughs> so a Venn diagram, two circles overlapping. One circle above it says Michelle Gondry. Mm. Above the other one, it says Charlie Kaufman. Ah. In the Michelle Gondry circle, it says... <laughs> Too playful, too surreal, too whimsical. Yeah. Under Charlie Kaufman, it says, too postmodern, too bleak, too inaccessible. And then where the two circles cross... Michael Bay. Michael Bay. <laughs> I was just going to say a picture of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless yeah, Mind. And it's just like uh, the perfection would... of those two minds coming together. Cause, yeah. And actually, yeah. I was going to say an example movie for each was Michel Gondry, Science of Sleep. Great movie. It's a bit much at times. It, it is a bit excessive. Charlie Kaufman, Synecdoche, New York. Great movie, but very jarring, very inaccessible. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, 
No, that, I, yeah, you're Eternal Sunshine right. is like the convergence point of where they just hit perfection. Sweet spot. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think Charlie Kaufman rebounded from Synecdoche. No, I, <laughs> His career I, I took a bit of a dive. he's still writing scripts, isn't he? Or... He's had a lot of projects in the works that like get pushed back. He was going to like have some show on FX with Jack Black as the star, and that really? got canceled. Yeah, he's had... He's almost had a ton of projects. That, that's too bad, because he's a brilliant writer. Yeah. And I did like Synecdoche. It obviously wasn't for everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's for the diehard. That was a dense-ass movie. Yeah, dark, depressing. I feel like it'd be even more depressing now that Philip Seymour Hoffman passed. Ooh. I don't know if I can even go back to that. Now. Yeah, I, I don't think I've gone back since the first time I watched it. Maybe I watched it twice. I think I, yeah, I saw it twice. It was... Yeah, could have used a little Jim Carrey and Michelle Gondry just to balance it out. That's a good way to think of it. It is. It's <laughs> the perfect Venn diagram. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening, Charlie Kaufman and Michelle Gondry, you guys got to team up. Team up again. And maybe Michael Bay can help with some cool uh, needs, stunts. Explosions. Yeah, some boom crashes. Some Shia LaBeouf. Uh, a bone nut shot. Bone nut. Whatever. <laughs> a little wee wee. Wee wee. <laughs> I don't know. Anything else? Any other thoughts about Good Night? It's a good one. Close the close the show. Close the show. Closes Bone the room. album. It's Good Night. Good Night. Bone All right. Room. So, like usual, of the five, do you do you have a favorite? You think? I, I have to pick Meshuga. Yeah. It, it, very impressed with that song. It was fantastic. I think for the first time in three episodes, I'm gonna agree with hey. you. It's probably the song that I would find myself going back to of my own free will most often of these five yeah 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 it's brilliant never i never paid you for a, a gent fan Neither you can I. be that guy at parties now <laughs> telling people about mashuga i go hey have you heard of mashuga <laughs> all right so they have the, the album that my friend steve would talk to people at length about they have this <laughs> album called catch 33 the very technically impressive album hmm. I don't know enough about music theory to put justice into how I'm going to describe this but from the beginning of the album to the end they keep the exact same count uh. so like while there are separate songs it's supposed to be one long song and yeah. actually the beginning note of the first song and the ending note of the last song are the same thing so it's supposed to loop into wow. like infinity it's like nietzsche's hell where it just you know keeps <laughs> yeah. repeating itself and all the lyrics are about that they're all they're about you know nihilism wow. and death's inevitability and just repeating and hopelessness and each song go falls right into the next one exactly without a pause you would unless you were watching wow. it you wouldn't even know when it transitions into wow. the next song and like <laughs> when you watch them perform that album live normally metal bands you know they're headbanging and moving around stage they're all very still because they're all trying to keep count mm. because like i said the count never changes and there are slow quiet drone parts of the song that even though it's just like a droning guitar you'll see them all sitting there nodding their heads still because they're trying to keep count for when they come back into it like it's wow they're an impressive band yeah i, yeah. I will give them that sometimes I think it's a little bit too spectacly, but yeah, I like it. They seem like I mean, almost like uh, like Rush, like yeah, like they don't just like have a sense of like music that like you can dance to, but like almost like they're just like nerds. Of Look music. at this thing I made. Yeah, they're it's like impressive. engineers, like which yeah, I was impressed. I was I was impressed. I was surprised. I liked it. Yeah. I feel like there's some good kind of trajectory going on with. You're that drunk at the party. You got the cock rock and the bone nut. And then you say, have you heard of Meshuggah? Have you heard of Meshuggah? And, uh, and then you're kicked out of parties. And then if they haven't, you show them your meat blood and <laughs> yeah. move in the night out of there. Then you just drive home alone listening to wings. And as you as you leave, you say, bone nut. <laughs> bone night. <laughs> night bone, bone nut. <laughs> bone nut. <laughs> All right. I guess all that's left is you gotta go pick out the next five week. songs for next week. So 
Well, hold on a second as I move. All right. Let me get my iTunes open. And here we go. First song is The Last Day of Summer by The Cure. Second song, Icky Thump by The White Stripes. Third song, oh boy. God damn it. Drift and Die by Puddle of Mud. Ooh, we talked about them, and actually this is going to be difficult. So the next track is track three by the Silver Mountain Zion Memorial Orchestra and Tralala Band. Now, this album has 13 tracks of silence. And this is one of those tracks of silence. So I'm going to make the executive decision to review the first actual song on that album just for the sake of having something to talk about. So it is going to be 100 Million Died to Make This Sound by the Silver Mount Zion Memorial Orchestra and Tralalala Band. Is, was that four or is that... This is five? All right. So our last song, another band I would, or musician I wanted to show up is Tom Waits and his song, I Never Talk to Strangers. There are your five songs. Uh, go listen to them and tune in next week to hear us talk about them. Thank you for listening. <laughs>